Let's allow ourselves one collective sigh <laughs> or groan for a moment. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. That's it. And with that, good. Uh, and we're, we're we're going to war. Fuck this. Let's go. <laughs> those fifes i need a fight i need a fife i need yeah. a drum <laughs> i need just more fifes flouts yeah. the whole thing all those uh yeah whatever uh we need yeah the guy from the the guy like with the guitar on the front of the truck in mad max basically yeah uh, whatever constitutes uh war sounds basically that's what we need <laughs> welcome to the death panel the official podcast of the Democratic Establishment. Which uh, definitely, definitely doesn't exist. <laughs> yes, not a podcast. Um, you can support the show at <laughs> Patreon. Let me, tell you, yeah. exist. <laughs> Let me tell you, I've seen a lot of things in, uh, in my years in politics, and I can tell you there is no such thing as the Democratic Establishment. Absolutely <laughs> so, not. Real talk. Yeah, we are not the official establishment podcast and... I'm but sure there, there must be one. There must be one. But you know, it's private. It's a private pod. It's <laughs> yeah, only it's for those like truly in the know. Meeting. The true private podcast, secret societies, right? There doesn't um, need to be. There like doesn't need to be one, right? That's the whole point. <laughs> <laughs> they like they lied, and uh, it wasn't actually a phone call that Pete Buttigieg got from uh, Obama on Sunday. It was actually that they delivered him a private podcast from the home of Barack Obama. <laughs> Hello. Maybe it's but recorded. Yet, but yet there would little... still be there would still be ads for stamps dot com on it, though. You know. Oh like, yeah, for <laughs> sure, absolutely, Exxon. Uh, Pete, if you um, don't want to go to the post office, uh, you can uh, go to stamps.com. Yeah. Uh, Government services are such a drag. I mean, we, we laugh, but why you know, let why let one big that is the actual ad copy. It's so terrible. All, <laughs> all of your packages when you could do it at home on your computer. Yeah. Anyways, real talk though, you can support the death panel at patreon.com slash death panel pod. We actually do two shows a week, so if you want access to that bonus one, gotta become a patron. Anyways, all plugs aside, yesterday was Super Tuesday. Let's go ahead and just dive right in. I think a good place to start might be to sort of run through what happened. Yeah. That'll be easy. <laughs> That's well, like... I mean, in some ways, yeah, kind of. <laughs> it of, is. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of shit going on, but it is very, I mean, I think all, all joking aside, the like democratic establishment uh, conversation that's happening right now, which there are like actually a lot of degrees of, because there's also even like a current infighting thing between like, uh, you know, just earlier this evening, Joe Biden made some statement that's being like picked up and carried <laughs> by a bunch of media organizations that like 
when when Bernie calls out the Democratic establishment, he's calling out the working people of this country, and he's oh, he's like great. speaking down mm-hmm. to African American mm-hmm. voters uh, who who didn't vote for him. And it's like, come on, guy, this is not we're talking. <laughs> he's not talking about like fucking Wells Fargo or like he's talking about like fucking Wells Fargo people and shit, and like the people who actually <laughs> donate to your right. campaign. But um, and like John Brennan of the CIA who endorsed Joe Biden, basically. Yeah, like some, Samantha Power and right. I don't um, know James Comey. Right. So yeah, that was. Say all the boys in Langley have your back, you know. Yeah. I mean, technically, I guess, like, yeah, John Brennan and James Comey are supposed to be uh, nonpartisan officials or yeah, whatever. I mean, they're. I mean, yeah, well, James Comey know. is not well, an official whatever. anymore. So yes, that's whatever. True. He's just a private citizen. He's an author. Staring out his poster. window. Just a poster. He's a brave Supreme. man. He's so brave and strong. Uh, you know, looking looking directly uh, down out his driveway and mumbling bible verses into a notebook that says joe biden endorsement so (laughs) (laughs) i don't know um no but really like they did uh you know it's a i think actually it's a pretty simple story that like there is a story about on sunday we don't know what exactly happened but uh we do know that uh barack obama did contact pete Buttigieg and told him that this is your moment of maximum leverage Buttigieg dropped out that night klobuchar dropped out the day after think hard about how you want to use this leverage that you have you have enormous leverage and so uh you know going into (laughs) super tuesday the you know the center really absolutely consolidated i mean you were talking but you were on the phone with people and you were saying that basically Mm -hmm. even like a bunch of them who you ended up talking to who were like uh center like centrist people or who who were gonna like vote for whoever were basically just like i don't know anymore Uh, i'm railroaded in my that really does seem to be the story doesn't it yeah that's like the 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 more compelling they're like the problem with the super tuesday is like there's just so many there's just a preponderance of statistics that come out and so like in one sense i guess you could say like you can create whatever story you want you can make it into a hat or a boat or whatever (laughs) um but like or a brooch um yeah but like it, it it does seem to me that the consolidation around biden the Klobuchar, Buttigieg, you know, those those dropouts and the consolidation there and the fact that you had a lot of voters whose minds really were not made up. Right. Um, exactly. And, you know, there is uncertainty. And in a moment of uncertainty, uh, what do you do? Uh, one like heuristic that you have is uh, there's a familiar name on the ballot. Um, what has he done lately? I'm not sure. Really haven't paid that much attention. And so I'm going to vote for that person. I mean, it's not really. Yeah. I don't think it's that much more complicated. I think there are a few other things to like note, but that that seems to me it's like a pretty classic story of like party signaling mm-hmm. and like lining up behind the most recognizable candidate, uh, you know, among a certain slice of the electorate. Right. I mean, it was uh, yesterday. Basically, I spent the entire day making calls for Bernie Sanders. Um, hey, the dialer- good job. Oh, thank you. It was a really. Hey, hey, hey. This is media. This is media. This is supposed to be nonpartisan, right? <laughs> yeah, no. We're not nope. supposed to have a. We're not That's supposed over. to have the any opinions or oh, we're not we, can, media. we can do whatever we want. <laughs> I, think, I think we count as enthusiasts at best right yeah. now, right? I, we're I, not I, news media. We're just media, media. now seems to me to, to like to describe more of a 
advertising-based business model where you deliver information around advertisements. Yeah. We are content. Sure. Yes. Anyways, so yesterday, Super Tuesday, I was a little anxious, not because I was like worried about anything, but just because I'm prone to anxiety for stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I don't like waiting for things and I don't like surprises. So I was like, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to just sit on the dialer when it opens and I'm going to be on the dialer all day like as if I'm on the phone with insurance. You know what I mean? I'm going to take that right. that stamina I've learned, I've practiced. Yeah, I, and I'm going to turn it and I'm going to use it against the insurance companies and it's going to feel <laughs> really good. And can I just say, if you are a patient or the family member of a patient and you have dealt with insurance or watched someone deal with it, it's really cathartic to sit and make calls for Bernie Sanders for like 10 hours and be like, ha, that's one I'm taking back from Aetna. Fuck you. But anyways, it was really it was really fascinating because I called a number of states and um, a lot of Pete supporters were very surprised to get the phone call yeah. and very grateful. Um, they were like, oh, this is you were the Bernie Sanders campaign. Oh, that's great. Um, you, are you asking for money? And I was like, no, you know, I've got a little script, etc. And they'd be like, oh, you know, you're the first campaign that's called. And I was kind of, I don't know, like I made my decision for Pete on Friday and then they just dropped this bomb on me and I don't know what to right. do. I feel interesting. abandoned was one of the words used. Uh, one woman said she felt just completely lost, you know, that she had spent like two months she was in California two months trying to make the decision and she was pretty upset about it and said you know it it, why would he have done this so late right this is not fair to me this is not fair to the research that I did and the time that I put into this and the decision that I made he's taking the decision I I made and making a joke out of it and I think this is actually this is super important to to drive home because I've seen obviously for you know and for not not totally unwarranted, but I've seen like a ton of, uh, you know, blackpilling, a ton of like people being really uh, like frustrated or not just frustrated, but like almost hopeless at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people, especially like the many of the um, people, for example, who even are like some of our uh, our listeners who have kind of, uh, you know, reached out to us at some point before and been like, well, you guys talk a lot about electoral politics and I'm like not really... Like, I don't think we're going to do it through an electoral solution, but like, fine, I'll, I'll vote for Bernie Sanders and like, we'll see mm-hmm. or whatever. Maybe, maybe in like some perception, perception wise or something, it could be like a step back for some of those people. But really, like, um, it's interesting because this happened, like, first of all, like, this clearly happened so quick. This was a snap. Uh, to consolidate around Biden. Obviously, he's going to continue to get this like really positive media coverage uh, around it. He Mm -hmm. basically had like three full days of there was like someone who estimated that his uh, I hate this term, but quote unquote earned media was $72 million in like the couple days before, like after Pete dropped out. But like if you look at if you look look at the exit polls, for example, I just want to point this out. I was looking at the CNN exit polls uh, from Super Tuesday today. And it's really fascinating because uh, there there is one outlier in this, which is, is California. Uh, but to to say basically, so there's one there's one question that they have where they're asking, you know, when did you decide? When exactly did you decide who you're going to vote for? Mm-hmm. Right. And with uh, with Biden uh, in all of these states, it's resoundingly like 
it, it's almost no one decided before uh like the last few days or just yeah, that day right yeah um and and like literally if you look state by state like almost every state again except for california every, almost every state it's like if you look at the numbers it's like people like last few days uh is when people decide to vote for biden it's like 48 percent of people responding mm-hmm. for biden um and then if you then look it's like the the numbers jump up for sanders if you ask like did you decide in February or did you decide before February? Um, And interestingly, actually the one I I mentioned, California is an outlier because actually 36% of the people, again, this could maybe just be a statistical weird thing or something, but like 36% of the people in this uh, CNN exit poll um, said they actually decided that day on Sanders, which is interesting to be honest in California. I'm not surprised because I spent a lot of time on the phone with people in California and a lot of them had, a lot of questions right you know what i mean one of the other takeaways that i that i really like that struck me was not only the fact that people were frustrated with biden and pete that they felt that they had been like undermined that their agency had been sort of undermined in some way because they had made a choice and it had been taken away there were some people also that were still undecided and felt like they couldn't get a straight answer from the news and they didn't know where else to look And they were like, oh, but this Los Angeles number is calling me. I'm going to go ahead and actually, I don't know. I guess it probably is. There's like an 800 number you call in, but I'm assuming it uses your actual phone number. I don't know. Which is why I picked California because I have a California number. But I figured like it would be more successful. Whatever. I don't even know if that's holds true but you know people were like oh great i'm so glad you're on the phone do you like i have a question about some issues and i i was like oh that's great actually because i've read most of the plans from every single candidate right (laughs) um i'm not your average phone banker but you could ask me a question about pretty much literally anyone's platform right now and i'd be able to give you an answer but like why don't you tell me about like what's important to you yeah you know And obviously, I'm not going to do this with every caller, but there were a couple people that like I think it was like 12 or 13 that like I spent a lot of time with because they were really, really um, lost. And they were like, I've been watching MSNBC and I feel like I'm being like pushed towards this. But like my real concern is, um, you know, my children are terrified of climate change. And so I want to like do something that makes them feel like that I'm. I'm taking care of them because they can't vote yet. And they're like 16 and 13. And like the 13 year old is having panic attacks and like wetting the bed because he's terrified and having nightmares about like climate catastrophe. You know what I mean? And I was like, Oh, let me tell you about the green new deal. It's really cool. Your kids will like it. It might calm them down. We can talk about like the civilian conservation course. So she and I had like a 25 minute conversation where she just sort of told me all about her life in Los Angeles and like smog and anxiety about about pollution and the air quality that her children like breathe in when they play and go outside. And it was like it was fascinating. And this was someone who was like, I was a pizza supporter on Sunday morning. Right. Wow. That makes sense. And yeah. I was a Pete supporter because he was young, she said. He uh, seemed like he got it. And she thought that the youngest candidate would probably have young people's uh, needs in mind. Right. And that, sure. and that, you know, CNN and NBC kept saying that he's so young, he's enthusiastic, he's got this strong record, you know, of, of uh, you know, business experience for such a young person. And he's so, de- <laughs> like, whatever, you know, right, he's a yeah. veteran, like, uh-huh. he just checks all the boxes, so she thought it was a safe choice. And 
felt completely abandoned, you know? Yeah. And was going to just do Joe Biden because of the D, like I mean, you were saying. And, so. it's, and it's sort of reflected, I think, when you look at the... the it, so, like, okay, what was it? Biden won 9 of 14? Uh, right. Uh, mm-hmm. took the lead in nine of 14 states, right? Doesn't mean he gets all the delegates. But when you look at the exit polls, even among Biden's supporters on particular questions, many of these key questions that I think have been defining questions in the race. Yeah. They're not like the questions you would expect to come out of states where Biden wins like a lion, the no. lion's share of the delegates. So like, for <laughs> example, the the question yeah, about, exactly. you know, do you want to, would you support replacing private health insurance with a, you know, full publicly funded <laughs> Exit uh, plan, right? are so funny. It's great. So like, okay, Alabama, 51% support, California, 55%, Maine, 69%. Support wow. Minnesota is 62%, yes. right? Okay. How do you feel about making tuition free at public colleges and universities? Now they didn't ask this everywhere, but a couple of states where they did California, 73%, North Carolina, yeah. around 73%, 73% as well. Okay. So these are like super majorities for these policies, which I think of as being sort of signature Bernie policies, yeah. but I yeah, think, absolutely. so, so the question is, how do you square that with, um, the reality, okay, so there is a little bit of a breakdown. Biden supporters uh, less enthusiastic about these things, but some of them are enthusiastic about them, clearly. Yeah. So, like, one of two things has to be true. One, these policy issues are not the things that are primary when they go into the mm-hmm. the ballot the voting booth. That's entirely possible. They could be voting on Biden's name, his affect, their trust, their skepticism of like a candidate who calls himself a socialist or something like that. But it could also simply be the case that they have been, I think, misled by communication from both the campaign and from media on what Biden really supports. Yeah, it's actually, you know, pretty easy to do that sort of thing. Well, and actually not, I think not even that because, you know, whether, whether it's that they, it's misled on what Biden actually supports because that, I mean, that's certainly a possibility, but I think that also in general, and this is one of the things that I think this is one of the reasons that you see so many Sanders uh, people complaining about um, like media coverage in general uh, too, because like, I think just genuinely, um, and I, you know, I get, I get this sense from a lot of the like different interactions that I've Mm -hmm. uh, had uh, with either, you know, like, uh, phone banking or text banking or being text banked, uh, by a very <laughs> yes. misfortunate Warren supporter, uh, over the weekend, which I did not appreciate. Thank you, Tracy in New York. Um, great job in Massachusetts uh, this week. Anyway. Yeah, Tracy um, (laughs) didn't have good comebacks for Artie. Artie had very, I posted it to our Instagram stories. He was very civil and he was like, I'm really sorry, but I'm voting on these specific issues. And she just like flipped through the book and copy pasted whatever felt the most appropriate. And it was canned and unpersonal and cold. Yeah. And Um, boring. Which goes back to the like, you know, I think for a lot of uh, people supporting uh, Bernie or in general who are part of like a, who are, who would like think of themselves as like part of the left or uh, like aligned with like the interests of of working people in general or the working class. I think there's like stories behind a lot of this stuff Mm -hmm. and uh, like personal investment and involvement in some of these things, which a lot of people see as, you know, like, like advertisements for a campaign, as we've talked about with like Matt Iglesias saying that Medicare for all is a a fake news. Right. It's a, it's simply a tactic to elect Bernie Sanders. But I think that while there is, I do think that while there is like this is kind of the problem because there there's a lot of coverage of 
Bernie's policies, for example, mm-hmm. um, or like the positions that uh, the campaign has staked out. And I do think that a lot of it, you know, again, since I think for most people, for like people who even I know in my life who I've talked to who don't uh, know a lot about Medicare for all know maybe that I care about it or whatever, but they still think it's kind of like a reasonable thing to say to me, but like, how are you going to pay for it? Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that like, uh, to a certain extent, this is, again, this is one of the reasons why Sanders supporters can get like frustrated with the media is because like these things uh, have not, it's not even that they haven't been given like a fair shake, but the, to the degree to which uh, so many of these things and the, the, uh, positions staked out are covered. I feel like they are uh, either covered in a explicitly negative light, with, like with Medicare for all, or they're kind of like uh, there are like key details left out. And I think that to borrow from, um, I for, I I, uh, I never re- remember his like full exact name, but um, pretty bad lefty online. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was uh, saying this. I heard him saying this thing the other day, which is that basically. What's really interesting is that like a lot of people, I think, who vote in Democratic primaries or who consider themselves part of the Democratic Party, for example, or who would Mm -hmm. like vote for Democratic Party candidates. I think that like a lot of those people think of the party as like the party of working people and as like the party of minorities and women and people who, you know, and like and not necessarily do not necessarily think of the party as like the more kind of corrupt uh like corporatist apparatus that it, mm-hmm. it is also in addition to sometimes occasionally being those things or uh, trying to be those things. Right. Totally. Um, and so what's interesting is I think that like, if you actually get the message in front of people and you like say, look, there's a, there's like a movement of people here. I think if like you reach, if you're able to actually reach those people and this is why like the, the problem with like, um, it not like filtering through to a bunch of these people who just like only watch MSNBC or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess Bernie's going to be on Mad out tonight, which is funny, but, uh, like I think if it doesn't get out to those people necessarily, uh, or sorry, I think when it gets out to those people, it's like, Oh yeah, that sounds like, like these policies sound like the democratic party that I assume it is. Right. right. Exactly. Like, this sounds like a Democrat. Yes. Right. That's, so, that's a really, really good point. It's like the, in many ways, the, the Bernie revolution, as it were, is a resuscitation yeah. of mm-hmm. things that the Democratic Party abandoned uh, in roughly 1978, 80. <laughs> yeah. Right. This is sort of like like it was part of every every Democratic like platform, I think, until 1980, like national health insurance of some kind, like was a definite part of the the platform. And yeah, Jimmy Carter ran on it. Um, you know, and then the 1980s, as, as, as we talked point. about in the last episode, like Nixon wanted to do right, it. Right, exactly. It was yeah. a huge Nixon program, national health insurance. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's one of the interesting things that I, that I also heard over and over again, um, when I was phone banking was people wanting to know when I was sure. Hmm. And mm. it made me start thinking about some sales strategies that I've picked up over the years <laughs> okay. because, um, you know, it's like the grocery store idea where um, when you have clear parameters for decision making, the choice becomes easier. But there's also the influence of brand loyalty. Right. Um, so nutrition labels. Right. Like I think it's like 80 percent of people say um, that they they use nutrition labels to make decisions about products, right? right? And that's sort of like a universal standard, right? Um, That 
exists in the United States and it's a parameter and a framework from which to make your decision and make a comparison, right? And Mm -hmm. what I felt like a lot of these people who were especially like, I just have so many questions and I don't know where to go and I can't figure it out. And they really wanted to be sure because they really hate Trump, right? And they really don't like the way the country is going or their lives are going or how precarious their lives are. Right. Or they want to do the right thing. Right. Desperately, they want to make the right choice and they don't know what the parameters are. And they turn to like the media establishment. Right. And they they try and look at those sources and those sources are um, contradictory on the same show, on the same channel. It's about selling the advertisements. It's all complicated. It's all so complicated. That's right. the, yeah. that's the but, sophistry. But like TV, like talking head television, right? Like mainstream news is not about delivering information. It's about selling advertisements. So there's no incentive for mainstream, you know, television shows to actually give you a rubric by which to judge the candidates because you would right. turn the show off. What keeps yeah. you turning in is uncertainty and an extended decision-making process, which is also in sales strategies, shown that the less a person knows about a product and the longer their decision-making takes, the less confidence they have in their final decision. Yeah, wow. Okay, that's a really good... Actually, that's a quite good analysis of this, I think. That's like literally just a retail strategy of why you need to explain to people. That's why like composition labels on clothing exist because if you tell someone, oh, it's 100% organic cotton or it is a differentiation you know what i mean well and it also explains how uh easily you can kind of like then funnel people at the 11th hour uh also Mm -hmm. if you've been sort of like you know uh, like depriving them of sort of uh key like key information here Mm -hmm. i think one of the things like one of the things that frustrates me to to no end uh specifically about again um these exit polls because as much as you know again these are just exit polls we, we can't draw too much from them but at a certain point like it's not exactly reading tea leaves here to see the like things like the the uh, support for single payer being so right. fucking plural like right. phil was pointing out and across like all these states where these are conducted consistently over and over again we see i looked this. at that and, and thought like hey we want like in a yeah. way it's like we're winning here okay this is not let's not lose sight of that Oh, yeah, for absolutely. Sure. And for again, sure. and again, it's like, okay, so on one, on one hand, and I think this is like a really key part of this is, um, uh, like a really key part of this is again. So there's like, yes, super Tuesday was like huge, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like votes are literally still being counted. Delegates are going to be being still apportioned for a long time in part because like, uh, you know, Texas and California take so long, um, to do a lot of their, uh, processes or whatever. Right. Um, Which it should. It shouldn't be a quick process to tally votes. Not I necessarily, think. although it does change the like. My my point is that essentially, like, there are actually as like Bryn from Beep Beep was pointing out um, today, which uh, Phil sent to me. Like, you know, as as of this point in two thousand eight, like it looked like it was possibly going to be a contested convention between Hillary and Obama. It wasn't. Obama won that election. Uh, like, it's entirely possible, especially now that we have such a fucking terrible. Uh, like weak candidate as Joe Biden to run against right. that we can like completely run away with this. And I think it's incumbent on us to like, I was like joking earlier saying like go to war or whatever, but like really it's like, this is, this is a, this has to be like a huge fucking charm offensive, right? Like we have to, we have to like uh, communicate and like educate people about uh, right. a lot of this stuff uh, really quickly. And then 
I started with the exit poll thing and I want to finish on that, which is that basically like it is uh, wild to me. And I think it should give everyone pause who possibly voted for Biden or even like Liz Warren or whatever uh, yesterday should give everyone pause that every one of these exit polls shows that and particularly in states where like Joe Biden won that people are voting primarily for like more for uh, people who they think are the most electable candidate than for people that they see as agreeing with their values, quote unquote. Right. And that to me just shows anxiety about people wanting genuinely to make the right choice and feeling like they do not want to be responsible for allowing this administration to continue another four years. Right. Right. And And I, I think, yeah, I mean, the question is like, what do you do with that? Right. What, you know, what do you do with that raw material? And I, th- I think, you know, there is there is an argument to be made that if, if you look at the, the the parts of the demographics where that uncertainty is the most prominent, it's I think the 50 to 64 age group. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I, I think that if you look at like 50 to 64, it's like these are people, many of them have kids in college. And many of them mm-hmm. have par- have parents that are aging into needing long term care, and this creates just an incredible. Given that, like, they are probably on the hook for at least a, a, a decent amount of both of those costs mm-hmm. on other on either end. This is That's just a like great it's point. There's sort of living. Oh, people people use the term sandwich generation. I don't like that, um, but like the. There, there is this sort of deep, deep uncertainty, and uh, that, that I think uh, informs uh, the way that uh, this sort of set makes uh, set of folks makes decisions. Now, everyone has sort of focused on the sixty-five plus vote, which is overwhelmingly Biden and overwhelmingly opposed to single payer. But if you look at that fifty to sixty-four demographic, it's much more varied. The gap between Biden and Sanders is a lot closer. And I actually think that um, if you actually if you look at like broader, like social general social surveys, mm-hmm. this this demographic of people, they think that uh, corruption and power is a huge problem. And they think that elites have too much power. They think that, uh, for example, I think 60 percent of them um, uh, or 66 percent of them, I think, want long term care to be fully paid for by the federal government. Um they have a deep suspicion of um, the current economic system. Like 49% of them think that uh, there's a major sort of uh, problem with the current uh, economic system. They feel that it's unfair. These are all like numbers from the Pew Research Center. So like, I actually think that there's an argument to be made that like you can sell these people on one Biden's complete incompetence for, for office. Oh yeah. uh, Because he might in fact remind them of uh, people who are older than them and, or Trump. and, or like, or Trump. Um, uh, but like he, once you start focusing on things that are actually characteristic of him, it's, it's going to be much harder to, to sort of justify that choice. The other thing is, I think you can make an appeal that's not, you know, it's, I, I hate to say it, but I, I kind of think that the not me us, um, and will you fight for somebody you don't know? I think that's incredibly powerful yeah. solid rhetoric of solidarism. And I think it's important. However, I think for this demographic, that's not going to be the appeal that wins. I think the appeal that wins is going to be something like, hey, 
you are going you are going to be on the hook for not only your parents long-term care and like Mm -hmm. doing primary caregiving now you're in in a year or two you're going to be enrolled in the medicare advantage plan where you're gonna where you are going to be paying out of pocket uh you know so like i think there's just this like to sort of like break down these myths about this this population um you know that i think that that has to be you know, part of the pivot at this point. Well, and I think long-term care is a really important component of that because we are facing like an impending crisis, right? I mean, this is something I I talked about to my mom and I think ultimately like months ago was the reason why I won her over to Bernie is Mm -hmm. that I said like, listen, like, dad's supposed to have this surgery and he can't get around the house. So we've been trying to do long-term care and you see the problems with your own eyes now. Yeah. Imagine what's going to happen when all the other people like start needing long-term care and you guys' generation, not just for things like a surgery that is a finite situation, right? That has an end date in theory to it. Like what happens when um, couples both need long-term care, but you can really only afford enough for one? Yeah, totally. You know, what happens when the partner dies and you lose that social security dual income and all of a sudden, like how do you pay for care for the surviving spouse? And this is, yeah, and this is exactly what's so important and what's so crazy about this idea that like people would vote for Biden because he's the more electable candidate or whatever. Because like, frankly, I'm very, I'm, I'm not just concerned. I'm basically certain that if uh, Biden was the Democratic nominee, he would absolutely lose uh, to Trump, not only because like uh, something we'll like talk about in a little bit and that I think a lot of people like uh, it's like almost like too easy, but is worth is definitely worth talking about. But that Biden does seem to not like uh, be able to like articulate himself very well Mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, and that's not exactly, you know, there's no. Uh, there's, there's not going to be any, like how to put it, like, even if people like come to his defense over Mm -hmm. that, even if the media comes to his defense over that, say in a debate, for example, uh, you know, Trump will still like call him some fucking ableist slur or something. And the, and like people will eat it up and you know, it's not going to like the media coming to his defense is not going to like stop any of that or help it also because like. But uh, but also because like of, again, Biden's own record on Social Security um, and like his statements on Social Security, things like that. I mean, it's it, it seemed like th- this is kind of what I'm saying. Like, you know, wh- however, like I, I, I frankly, for example, I'm like at the point where I won't even fucking care if uh, like I'm, I've been very, very happy to see them uh, be extremely like uh, to have have Bernie extremely signaling his like left uh credibility lately not not in every instance like obviously there was that weird exchange over the like chinese politburo and also the like whatever it doesn't matter but like at the end of the day like whatever whatever um messaging also needs to be produced to reach um those people who are older voters we see you know over and over again people over 65 like are basically all biden voters and like as it's a gradient as you get as the as the it's like a gradient as you look at age in these exit polls essentially mm-hmm. where like you get much much more uh biden and those are the exact people who should be super down for yeah i'm actually not gonna have to worry about going bankrupt in my old age which is right around the corner I because long-term care will know. be covered i know and that's, the, yeah. that's what i'm saying so many of them must not know or must be 
uh, disbelieving of the fact that it could even happen. Right. I mean, here's the thing. I spoke to multiple people yesterday who um, self-identified as being in the middle class and then told me that they were living in a house with four generations under one roof. Right. They're millennial children with children, right? Mm -hmm. They're grandchildren, millennial children, their parents and them. Yeah. Like they, that is not the American definition of middle class, right? If they were, if we actually had a middle class, then everyone would have their own home, I think is the idea. That's Mm -hmm. sort of like the way that we used to measure it was like, you know, how many people are living in a, a four bedroom apartment? Almost oh, like the uh, middle like, class disappeared into ghosts and shadow. Hey, um. I, mean, I mean, just think about how many millennials uh, moved back in with their parents because of the financial right. crisis. Right. Like our, our generation graduated into a, a desert of gig economy jobs. You're yeah. lucky if you if you have a job with benefits. So well, so there are a lot of people who are on the hook, maybe financially supporting their children um, past an age where it used to have to happen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and be socially acceptable. So that barrier has just been completely thrown down in the past five years. Right. Mm. Um, One longer, I would argue. Longer. But, yeah. but and then like they don't even realize yet how fucked they're going to be yeah. when they start to realize what the out-of-pocket costs are even for regular-ass Medicare, not Medicare Advantage. Like, you know what I mean? Well, and that's kind of the funny thing where even, you know, you, you bring up your uh, your own mother who's only uh, one example, but I think it's, you know, it's very easy in some ways to, like, stereotype these people or be like, oh, fuck the South or, oh, fuck all these old people who, uh, like, voted for Biden or whatever, et cetera. But at the end of the day, it's like, I think a lot of people don't necessarily realize, for example, like you, like, B, you brought up your own mother. Um, she's in, like, a managerial position at a museum and... Uh, and yet, and so that's the kind of person who you would think would be like part of the like just straight up part of the professional managerial class, et cetera, mm-hmm. or whatever, uh, firmly like middle or upper middle class or something like that. And simply by the virtue of like having she has a disabled husband and a disabled daughter, like her interests, her actual lived experience is a lot more like working class than right. like than she would probably herself identify. I right. think. And uh, to be honest, a lot of her coworkers uh, are in similar situations. It's just maybe not disability. Yeah. Um, it it's it's part of I. Th- I mean, this might be a good time to sort of like move on a little bit to like uh, some of the media narratives because we've been sort of shitting on the fact that no one has uh, access to like real media. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we should talk about some of the media narratives that have yeah. arisen in the past 24 hours. I mean, sure. The, the conversation that we just had to me is so much more. It has actually helped me understand what happened yesterday so much more than any of the shit that I read. <laughs> like, I mean, and it started it started, frankly, with like people like David from oh last boy. night oh, saying that, so that like oh saying that um, the people who were Biden voters, <laughs> the people that like pay their cable bills on time and yeah. and that the, the Sanders voters, the people who don't have, you know, they haven't paid their cable bills a month. Like who, a, who has a cable bill B rich people just do auto pay. <laughs> like you are. Yeah. yeah. What a 
absolute clown. It's so funny because he might as well have said like, these are people who pay their insurance premiums on the 31st of the preceding month or something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, oh my God. Uh, and not just because you're chronically ill and you're desperately afraid of a gap in coverage. Yeah, right. I guess, yeah, that is a, <laughs> that is a good distinction. Um, the, you know, the Biden voters are the people who go to Shea Penice downstairs. The Bernie voters <laughs> are people who go to Shea Penice upstairs or sure. just have a snack at the bar. Yeah. <laughs> or who never even get in off the side. I think yeah. Following just David, walking down the street. Following outside. David Frum's logic, the Bernie supporters, I think, are are the uh, people like asking for money outside of the restaurant that yeah. he's going yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, media's having a having a real normal one, not just media, I guess, but like pundit figures. I um, mean, to be honest, in terms of ad sales, it was kind of win-win for them either way. They built up Super Tuesday as a definitive moment, right? So many people were saying they were going to make their decision after Super Tuesday right? because the media was saying it was going to be so clear and decisive what the plan was afterwards. And lo and behold, it's not really clear and decisive because there are still 60% of the delegates which have been yet to be awarded to anyone, right? Right. We have had very few primaries yet. Super Tuesday is a fucking farce. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a media event. Yeah. Right. It's to sell ads. My favorite, uh, my some of my favorite like deep brain worm energy uh, uh, posts from today are like there was a Washington Post op ed that said um, like. Uh, Biden should like get it over with, get or get ahead of it, and uh, announce his VP pick now. Um, right, because that's then, super appropriate. Yeah, and <laughs> Matt Iglesias, of course, was like out there with some like shitty ding grin, saying, you know, like I, I've told you before, this is the value of earned media. Like, um, I don't know, like a coordinated effort to uh, <laughs> drum up a bunch of like dropouts and endorsements uh, by like literally the basically like former State Department officials, uh, etc. Um, yeah. is is earned media, but I don't know. Whatever. What do I know? My my least favorite one so far has been um, there's a sort of. Bernie's problem is he's not good at unifying the base Uh and he should Mm -hmm. be better at unifying the base or his base and the establishment. Mm -hmm. And it's not the divisive argument. It's a little subtler. It's more like I'm not saying he's divisive. I'm not trying to be (laughs) anti-Semitic, but... I have to say he could have worked a little harder to be a little nicer to the people who he, you know, will need to go across the aisle to blah, 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 whatever. Like it is the decency argument. It is a shame finger. It is a there's, you know, a dress code to enter this place kind of tone. Right. It's also like if you really think that you're like a political analyst making that argument, is like you don't really understand what politics is about or like what no. like why people run for office or do anything really <laughs> um the uh but it's like if they had said to William Jennings Bryan in 1896 you know you could be a little nicer to the gold faction of right. the Demo- the Democratic Party. You could be a little bit nicer to people who support the gold standard because they want to restrict access to the money supply. And like all the bimetallism, just cool off, dude. Like just relax. Okay. Like no. 
No. I mean, uh, you know, I have to say a 10-year transition plan to the Civil Rights Act really would have been a much, much better <laughs> transition. You no, know, no, no. get we'll, the country uh, used to we're, we're gonna, we're desegregation. Gonna, we're going to run on a civil rights uh, package. We're going to... Uh, pass a civil rights public option um, mm-hmm. in the uh, first 100 days. And then we are going to, at the end of our uh, first term in the fourth year, we will introduce the legislation for civil rights. We're going to bring all <laughs> the Dixiecrats to the table. Right. And we're yeah. going to sit them down with the insurance reps and everybody else. And we're going to say, folks, this is capitalism. It's time to get along. <sighs> right? Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, most of these political commentators, uh, contributors that you see on TV, the only rubric that they use to judge whether their speech is correct about politics or not is whether they're asked back on whatever show. Right. I mean, well, even yeah. Sam Cedar on Majority Report the other day was like, yeah, they don't ask me on MSNBC very often. Like, even he is like still thinking of, uh, you know, his politics of cable. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That his politics somehow have, um, you know, a, a correlation to the performance requests, right. Which is income for these people. They're not, um, they're not doing direct action. They are not organizers. Uh, oftentimes they're not even, um, academics. Like yeah. you, Phil. Well, like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think this overall, this whole uh, narrative about in in part that thing that I was saying earlier about how like I, I could maybe I could maybe understand the argument that like some people like a subsection of people uh, sure, maybe who like who do believe uh, that the Democratic Party is pure and good and like nothing ever bad has happened with the Democratic Party and they're never stand in the way of like the material interests that they think that they're actually fighting for or whatever. Like I could see some people being like, sure upset or offended by that or whatever. But I think ultimately just the 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 utilization of the oh, it looks like Sanders uh, plant like strategy to uh to use talking points that are like anti-establishment uh backfired is like is yes like like a complete farce and it's basically them setting up i mean there are all these comparisons that were published today uh people like you know thinking that they had a really bright idea and then making and then just uh you know printing the same claim as a bunch of other pundits saying that like uh, Sanders, uh, 2020 race is beginning to look like 2016. And this right. is one of those things where much like, you know, a for effort y'all. Well, much like when the moment that, uh, Sanders had started to be sort of ascendant and there were all the, there was the cries and panic about him being, uh, the, you know, the perspective like uh, front runner or whatever, uh, especially after Nevada, much, much like how a lot of those people, a lot of those people in the media started, talking about a contested convention in a very different way than like we (laughs) had been talking about it in a way that is like basically setting up the like telling you now so that you're not surprised later and you're like oh yeah that's they were always saying they were saying like the media's been saying it's going to be a contested convention also then making sure to mention and these changes like are things that sanders asked for remember like yeah well whatever but like the contested convention thing though Mm -hmm. Like, um, I think the setting it up as though it's like the 2020 races echoing 2016 is essentially them giving themselves permission to say, 
to like to basically basically like Hillary Fi uh, Joe Biden, right? And take this as like inevitable or whatever, which it very much is not. But I think ever like you you see essentially like immediately like everyone in the media is treating it like it is like. That it is no. a like quote unquote one like head on head head to head well, race between Biden and and Sanders, but that essentially Biden is the inevitability. Well, yeah, right? I mean, I think I think the the very telling thing, and and I I would challenge people to like just create, you know, do not do not just simply look at the maps that are produced. Create your own, uh, make your own. <laughs> Maybe we'll make our own. But like they simply show you like by color which candidate won. And regardless of whether or not you're, you know, you support Bernie or Biden or whatever, like these are misleading because they do not illustrate the breakdown and the number of not number one, the size of the delegate count in each state or no. the breakdown in the number of delegates that each person in the race received because right. it's proportional, proportionally allocated. So you just get this. It's like, oh, well, nine out of 14. That's a pretty big ratio. I get this is not the case. It, like Michigan alone, right? Uh, Bernie winning or taking the lead in Michigan or being the the top uh, performer in Michigan could like close the delegate gap between right. him and Biden right now. Um, right. If you look at like all of the states that like Sanders won last time uh, in 2016, all of those that Clinton won, and you sort of like assign them a, a, some pro- different proportional shares of those uh, uh, of those uh, delegates the like the, uh, there there are very few scenarios in which like a clear you know winner emerges with like uh 1991 uh right. delegates so it's it, you know this idea that it's inevitable and that you don't have agency to change this like invest your energy in in calling people who live in Michigan Right or Pennsylvania right. Yes, or, or any of these states or go where to na- Michigan, yeah, or, yeah, or or like any of these states, basically, even states that Clinton won in 2016, but where NAFTA uh, has right. wreaked havoc and like the trade issue is very very salient, like Ohio, yes, um, you know, those are delegate rich states, mm-hmm. and nothing is. I I don't think anything is foreordained. Um, in those states, certainly it isn't in Wisconsin. All of the polls suggest it's very, very remains very, very tight uh, right. here in Wisconsin. So, like, literally, it's one of those moments where the uncertainty that that maybe pushed people uh, in in at Super Tuesday towards Biden that's actually something that gives us agency or gives uh, normal people agency in like persuading other people that like mm-hmm. the direction of the Democratic Party has been going for the last thirty years doesn't have to be the direction that it goes like tomorrow. No, absolutely. Right. I mean, that's been one of the things that I've brought up to people who have come through the DMs and been like, see, this is proof that electoral politics is just a waste of time. We totally got creamed yesterday. And I'm like, no, that's just the media narrative that you listened to this morning. Like the actual numbers do not show Bernie Sanders getting creamed yesterday. Also, logistically speaking, um, we can totally do this election cycle now, but we are not building a cycle, right? We're not seeking participation in this cycle. We are using the cycle to build a movement, Yeah. right? We are using uh, our earned media (laughs) to educate people on their rights and the possibilities that direct action could bring to their lives, right? 
Um, yeah, I mean, this this goes back to something I was uh, saying on the podcast just uh, like a couple of weeks ago, I think, right? Which right. is that like this is not like it doesn't. Uh, this obviously is not uh, just this obviously is not just this race um and this obviously is just not is not just the electoral thing this does not end with the election you mm-hmm. know this uh and the best outcome for this obviously is to win the election but this also and this like basically doesn't end this is like getting people uh together consolidated in like potentially uh eventually in like more at least more of a position of power more of a position of leverage mm-hmm. to do things like yell at the sanders team to make sure that they like pass certain legislation to do things like descend on states while sanders is the executive to like show to like build up and show mass popularity for a program like single payer right. or hopefully things that come fucking after that because i would like after all of seeing how obviously single payer would benefit fucking everyone in this country i would love to like just fucking get that fight done and and like set in stone and then fight for all the other stuff beyond it that we need you know what right. i mean well it's but, like, like the idea of like okay you get people to love bernie because electoral politics are fun and it's like sports right yeah. and people like contests and winning and being part of a club right um so you get people like bernie bernie says abolish ice you use that to get that person that rando lib normie person in your life your parent your neighbor whoever you get them from voting to bernie sanders to being like abolish the cia yeah that's like that is the type of work that we need to be doing. It's a a tool. This cycle is a tool for us to use, right? Yeah. It's an educational opportunity for millions of people in America and around the world to learn about possibilities other than capitalism. Mm-hmm. And what better work is like being done than the stuff like I don't know like what the partnership is doing partnership is spending all this money on behalf of all these for America's healthcare future thank you sorry dark money group opposing Medicare for all if you're not a death panel head yes but you know the partnership is spending all of this money it's like got hospital groups and it's got insurance companies and it's got PBM and it's got pharma and it's got everyone right they're spending all this money is it effective no Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. There's a reason why the AMA is working. They are so wasting hard. this money. It is yeah. the best. <laughs> Guys, if we worked, oh my God, if we somehow created a, like a, a shell consulting firm Hell yeah. uh, for this stuff, oh my God, we'd Hell be yeah. oh, just rolling. Well, it, it. It's, amazing. it's clear that uh, there's fundraising power on the left, you know, which uh, everyone saying, like, oh, you use technology, you decry it, basically, right. uh, is trying to uh, <laughs> saying. Is like trying to uh, drum up or whatever. Uh, I guess that was just one. I know it's a common refrain, but I'm referring, I guess, to that like New York Times Chapo piece, which was so poorly written. But um, Barry Weiss's girlfriend's piece. Yes. Oh yeah. True. Uh, who also used to date Kate McKinnon of SNL. <laughs> Barry did. Yes. Makes a lot um, of sense. Right, it does, doesn't yeah. it? It makes uh, it makes uh, the Liz Warren impression make a lot more sense. Mm. And um, anyways, uh, uh, speaking. So- Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, speaking of, uh, BU mentioned something that uh, reminded me of uh, something that I wanted to try and do. And maybe this is a good interlude because I don't think we're quite done with Super Tuesday. There are a couple other things that... Yeah, there are a couple more things. uh, We want to hit, but I just want to, just to circle really briefly back on the idea of Joe Biden and Donald Trump being up against each other in the general election. Mm -hmm. Um, I have, uh, I have, let's see, let's, let's, let's 
take a, a momentary pause to play a little game. I'm gonna. I have two things. I'm gonna tell you these things, and I want you guys to tell me, legitimately uh, speaking. I'm gonna de-identify which candidate this is coming. This is coming from. Okay. Which of these is a candidate oh. get out the vote strategy mm, okay. or campaign merchandise item? Is one of these uh, a campaign me. item of Joe Biden or mm. Donald Trump? Okay. Okay. Great. Okay. Okay. White hat says in big black letters, woke on the hat. That's Trump. That's Trump. What do you think, B? I'm going to go with Biden. Phil is 100% correct. Uh, Trump is not only selling hats that say woke on them, uh, which when when uh, asked in in press commentary about that, um, one one of uh, the representatives of Trump's campaign uh, asked what it means to be for Trump to be selling a hat that says woke. That representative said, ask a black person. Um, okay. That uh, the representative of the Trump campaign was himself black, but still, like anyway. Um, and they're going to be basically sold. They're they're doing this uh, get out the vote thing for the general election because they just have all this like Bloomberg level money to to just uh, burn on the pyre. Um, they're literally they're not renting burning. Out, they're in, innovating and investing in the, the economy. They're literally renting out uh, empty storefronts. Storefronts, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. There's one. So. There's one up on North Avenue in Milwaukee. That's a liter- I kid you not. It is a block from America's Black Holocaust Museum, um, wow. which is an amazing place. Uh, but now they have a, a storefront there that is all like, you know, urban Trump apparel basically and that's uh that's one of their strategies is to uh try and literally use uh storefronts to get out the black vote wow how reductive anyway uh okay so uh the second the second thing and then we can like move on and get back uh to the stuff but okay which campaign is this biden or trump um a blimp that will fly around the south that you can text the word fly to to get yourself added to the campaign's mailing list and also be entered in a chance to fly in the blimp. Uh, oh, I heard about this one and I can't is remember. That, is it Biden? I think that's a Trump one also. B is right. Yeah. That is the it was a it was was a trick uh <laughs> trick quiz uh show. Uh, you thought uh, it, I thought uh, it'd be the other they one. Are, they are both Trump. Um, but, uh, yeah, Trump is, uh, Trump has a plan to fly blimps, uh, Southland tales style around the, around the South to, uh, to get out that vote. It's, it's beautiful. It's exactly like Southland tales. I hope, I hope the rock is on the blimp doing a beautiful dance. And (laughs) (laughs) Sean William Scott will like fall off the blimp and it'll end the world or something. I don't know, whatever. Anyway, it just explodes in the blimp maybe. Yeah. We could do that instead this time. Uh, should we uh, Should we keep going? Yeah. All right. So, well, I mean, speaking of Trump and Biden, right, um, we should actually maybe talk about the possibility of a Trump-Biden general election, because I think a lot of people have um, worried about ways to critique Biden that are not, not ableist. Right. And I've yeah. gotten a lot of messages about that and a lot of questions. And it makes sense because considering how Trump behaved during the 2016 election cycle and how little um, consequence there was for his 
publicly televised impressions of disabled people, right? right? Um, I have a feeling he's going to continue that and that Biden will just not hold up to pressure, one, and also to, unfortunately, um, guaranteed to provide some definite fodder for Trump to go after. I, yeah. There's not a world where he doesn't like probably call Biden the R word on stage and then walk <laughs> off. Yeah. You know, well, and, and nothing would happen if yeah, he did that. Exactly. And I think this, this, you know, maybe, and maybe you can tell us be what the, what the best way to address um, this stuff is. Cause I think that that is, it's, yeah, I've been it thinking is, about this a lot. Actually. It is, it is a really good point. The, I like, I know that a lot of people, especially like people in, like the Sanders camp or whatever, who are like actually like decent, good people who are not the stereotype of like, Mm -hmm. and I'm not saying that like, you know, that the quote unquote dirtbag left like podcast sphere is actually totally like this, but the, the stereotype is, is legitimately like, uh, you know, oh, these, these people are like ableist, et cetera, or whatever, use like ableist Mm -hmm. slurs, et cetera. Like, however, I think, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of people ignore, uh, or like kind of willfully ignore or feel like they are not allowed to sort of like talk about Biden's faculties, for right. example, or like how he, again, like forgets things or behaves in general on the, de- like not just on like in debates, but well, like for example, in speeches. Like last night he confused his uh, sister and wife at the beginning yeah. of his, uh, woohoo, we did it. Uh, go to JoeBiden.com and donate to my campaign. We're a growing movement. Volunteer right. for us. And I think the point is that like you can, you can point, uh, there, I think that there is a way to point that out without like yourself being ableist. Cause obviously he's seeking like, a, he is seeking the fucking presidency. Like, and again, as I think you rightly point out, like in a situation where it is, and I mentioned this before too, in a situation where, uh, it is Biden versus Trump. It's not like there is like a referee who's going to be like, Oh, Trump went too far or whatever on right. this. Who's, go- who's going to like, yeah, uh, Anderson stop Cooper this, is not like, going to intervene on Biden's behalf. And it's not going to like, it's not going to benefit. We have, and it's, it's funny too. Cause anyone who like maybe thinks that or thinks like, ironically, honestly, anyone who, um, like, uh, get uh, like gets super upset that there are like no consequences for, for like for Trump doing something like that who which you know we're sa- talking speculatively but like Trump has been like making fun of Biden's faculties too in general right but like um anyone who like gets upset about Trump making fun of that will also probably ironically miss the fact that like literally these are like half of Stephen Colbert's jokes about Trump too right oh because like it's yeah anyway. yeah and it's something I've been thinking about a lot and and I totally I think I have an important point one is of course you can totally go the angle of just ignoring the faculties thing and say you know focus on the record talk about his you know, he's literally the embodiment of like corruption and rot within yeah. the Democratic establishment. That's a great point and a huge long avenue to go after. But if like, again, you think that the long term care argument and the health care argument and the uh, age argument is actually really valid and I totally agree with you there, then I feel you and I think I have an idea. So by 1988, Joe Biden had had two aneurysms. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, An aneurysm is a bleed in the brain. Uh, Joe Biden for the first one was unconscious for five hours. You know, there's documented uh, evidence from the 80s, you know, medical records. And he's given 
talks and press conferences. So he's had a traumatic brain injury. He's had multiple mm-hmm. ones, right? He has he has a brain injury like my dad. We've talked we talked about this actually in our episode with uh our interview we did with Leslie about the Joker, right? About right. the card that um that the Joker gives out on the bus that says, you know, I'm I'm laughing because I have a brain injury. Right. Right. This is not like aberrant behavior, but like we're kind of trained to notice aberrant behavior because it's sort of like a health. It is a health risk. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so it's obviously like very striking that there is something not normal about the way that Joe Biden behaves in public. Right. Can I but can I like push this distinction or like ask a question uh, like how would we. I guess the question I'm always trying to think is like, how would I approach this if Joe Biden didn't have policy views that were abhorrent to me uh, or uh, or even had views that like are quite would were quite uh, simpatico with mine. Right. Like, how you know, how would I track that um, sort of discussion? Would, would I track it in the same sort of way? I mean, I think and I don't ulti- know the answer. Well, I think ultimately what it comes down to is that regardless of his policies, right, there is a personality issue with Joe Biden, right? Like, even if his political record were identical to Bernie Sanders and his platform were identical to Bernie Sanders, but his current behavior was the same as it is now, right? That would be a problem. The only reason I raise that is that, like, in his history, other times that he's run for president, long before anything, uh, any health problems emerged with him. He lied about like bald face lied about many things in his personal history. I mean, like just like things that are in fact, needless to lie about uh, when you're like already a sitting Senator. Here's the thing. He's obviously a compulsive liar. That's the real medical issue that should bar him from being president. It's a liability. (laughs) Now, what a brain injury can do is certainly change your behavior. Yes, it can make it harder to talk and communicate. It can produce silly gaffes like confusing people, right? Um, He is up there. He's probably also like sundowning in some capacity. That's what happens when we age. But what a brain injury doesn't do is create a new personality and a new set of behavior. What it yeah, can do really is is remove the the barrier or the ability to uh, code switch and hide that behavior. Right. Right. Totally. So what we're actually seeing is like true Joe Biden. What we're seeing and why it's so surprising is it's the mask off non-public Joe Biden breaking through. You see that when he pushes voters when he touches people inappropriately, like these are behaviors that he was trained out of during the Obama years that he is not able to like physically keep under wraps anymore because unfortunately that is the reality of a brain injury so it is not the brain injury itself which disqualifies joe biden it is his behavior his morals and his values and that fundamentally is just being shown to us within the context of a brain injury which makes it complicated well it's like on every level he's disqualified basically right right? it's obviously and it's easy to and it is easy to uh to do the thing which even like all all the time i think in in just like comments randomly on twitter or whatever i'll see some you know like rando account or or whatever who's attacking biden be like uh, uh you, you know like oh but like his his like brain's gone or whatever etc and right. it's like uh it's more like it's more that like um 
is yeah again like his he was always bad basically and just some of his inhibitions are stripped away and he's now again to the point where it's like not only it's not only that he's like a compulsive liar he's also starting to like repeat lies from the 90s that he had even apologized for like the nelson mandela thing right exactly like him being like uh what is it he said he was imprisoned uh, with soato Right. right. That uh, he, was, he had stripped away from the group and was arrested trying to go visit Nelson right. Mandela. In Can prison. you imagine if if Bernie Sanders said that he would be like removed from public life? He would be taken to Central yeah. Park. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Like the, he would, the, you know, it would be it would, like he would never live that down. It would be impossible to see him as electable. So I don't see I don't understand how people think of Biden as electable at all. I mean, but. Sorry, Phil, did you have something? Well, no, and I, but I think it's the, it's the, it's this for the same reason that like, again, I'm going to like bring up Paul Glastris of the Washington Monthly putting you on blast, buddy. <laughs> uh, I don't understand I don't why you're public, is. you're, it's a uh, centrist middle of the road, late 1970s lib publication. Gotcha. Um, cool. The, Continue. but like, I, I'm, I'm, well, but like a lot of people in DC, you know, it's on the desk somewhere uh, uh. in the uh, magazine rack, but like, I don't, you've, you've run uh, how many stories on like burn on like various, like you're pulled from different medical journals, like about like Bernie's like heart condition. And mm-hmm. like, there's never been a discussion, even characterological discussion about Joe Biden. It's just like, I don't, we don't have to get into this, uh, medicalization of, of the presidency, which has right. been so, so long and so long and gestating since 1964 the, in the Goldwater thing. But, um, the, I, I, I think that like all you have to do is like, okay, uh, Joe Biden, you've said repeatedly on the campaign trail, you believe healthcare is a human right. What do you say to somebody who uh, is is in a situation where they have been that they, they they cannot afford the treatment for a a serious chronic condition? It's just impossible yeah. to afford. Um, the say you know the sort of the patchwork of the safety net has sort of entrapped them in this like is it is it in fact a right is is it a right if uh they are wondering about whether or not they're going to be able to uh deal with the medical debt that they have i mean this is uh, that's all you have i think right. that's what that's that's an important thing to do you don't have to have a debate about competence no, exactly. mental faculties or competence necessarily it's more that the brain injury provides an opportunity and a lens for which we get to see a facet of his personality that he might have been media trained out of if he did not have a brain injury. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, sorry. I mean, maybe a good example is like, so my dad has a brain, brain injury. Um, and, uh, I love my dad, but my dad is an asshole. And, um, (laughs) He was a production designer. He worked on film and television. You kind of have to be an asshole to command a team like that. He used to joke that his job was to point and grunt at stuff and come in under budget. And is what happened when he had a brain injury, when he had a stroke, is not that he um, became more of an asshole. It's just that he lost the ability to determine when it was like appropriate to be an asshole. Right. I mean, I think long story short is like it's not his fault. Uh, and these like two things can be true. Like it is not like this thing is like not his fault. And also like he should not be the president of the United States because Joe Biden is a jerk who doesn't care about the working people of America, which is funny because I think people also, uh, I forgot, I neglected to mention this when we were talking about exits before and not to, not to read too much into this, but there's a really funny, uh, exit poll response, uh, that I saw from, uh, CNN, which it seems like didn't do this in every state, but, 
uh, I think in California and in Texas, they did uh, the a question which was uh, wh- whether the candidate like cares about like you or like the uh what what here let me let me find the exact wording wow that's amazing i guess uh whether the candidate okay candidate cares about people like me (laughs) sanders 50 percent uh the next highest one is biden at 14 percent response so it's like you know see that's a win people that is an ideological win, think, even if it's a small sample size. Yeah, I think we should uh, we should probably get to moving on from uh, Super Tuesday pretty soon. But do we want to touch on Warren? Yeah, I was just about to say uh, congratulations. I think we've made it one hour into a Super Tuesday conversation without a single mention of Elizabeth Warren. Either Woo! a call to drop out, threat. Uh, now we've been very <laughs> civil and even keeled. But I do think we should talk about um, the Warren situation for a second. Yeah. Shall we? So um, Amy and Pete, if you live under a rock and you've made it this far without Googling the primary or Super Tuesday, Amy and Pete dropped out this, you know, before Super Tuesday, Warren stayed in. She performed abysmally. She got third or fourth. Yeah, third in her home state. Uh, barely had fourth in a lot of other ones. She was struggling to be viable in most places. She's like barely, she's... Probably, I mean, obviously, uh, delegates are still being counted, but she's barely like scratched any. And uh, fr- um, frankly, you know, Persist Pack did confirm this morning um, to CNN that they will not be doing an ad buy for next week's um, primaries. I feel like I keep forgetting about that, and then I remember every like every once in a while or whatever um, that like the Persist Pack, which we've been making a really big deal of, I think for good reason for uh, for like the last couple of weeks since the Persist Pack right. launched that, but that the Persist Pack again, like, you know, announced that they are ceasing their ad buys uh, mm-hmm. for Warren, even though, you know, as of now, she is still in the race, although technically, you know, possibly by the time that this has come out, you know, maybe there will be news there was just moments ago a washington post story dropped that said uh, that uh, broke that essentially that the warren and sanders campaigns are in discussions about how to unite uh, the progressives the best or whatever right. whatever that means uh, but with the assumption that her campaign will come to an end soon um that like all of that being said uh it is i don't know it is ceaselessly funny to me and i know that it's just this just happened today but how fucking ironic i'm sorry i'll just take the fucking dad joke on this one how fucking ironic that the persist pack will no longer persist <laughs> like come on <laughs> Well, um, I would not be. I, like I would also one. not be surprised if I saw their remaining funds go into ad buys for Biden. Just saying. I right. don't know. I mean, one one never knows, given the the, the content of the where that money comes from. But yeah, I, I I genuinely hope this is maybe the the naive optimist in me. I genuinely hope that there's enough energy. For it might not be the dividing line of the Democratic Party I would draw, but that there is one and that there is an attempt. I mean, I've seen this really terrible analysis out there. It's like, oh, you know, (laughs) Biden or uh, uh, both Bernie and Corbyn, like in their, you know, second elections, they like they went more left wing like that. It's so so dumb. It's like, no, that's not like that is a sociological trend against right. like 
the further sort of erosion of right. social protection, the welfare state, <laughs> of like any kind of security that people have. That's not candidates going further left. That's the world crumbling and the main parties uh, not being capable of responding. If you have a problem with that, take it up with Tom Perez. Right. Take it up with with any number of people who control the House Rules Committee. Um, if you don't want to see candidates that emerge and have a sort of antagonistic bent or a populist bent towards the party, change the party. <laughs> right. Uh, Maybe, maybe take your ass uh, or your, well, now this is very Biden-y, uh, take your head out of your ass, right? This is like, this is what happens when- I knew a bad like, party. That bad yeah. party was named Corn Pop. Corn yes. Pop had everything to do with the Democratic Party. And he, I tell you, his legs, my God, his legs. Anyway, sorry. Please the, uh, this is, uh, no, but I mean, it's like, this is the thing. If- This is what happens when center left parties don't adapt to the fact that uh, sort of the liberalization of the economy has just further eroded people's security and they've not done anything about it. You're going to keep seeing these. You're going to love to see it. Probably speaking. Yeah, actually, honestly, speaking of which, what's really interesting not to uh, how to put it, that exact spurning uh, that you're talking about, I think, is. So, okay, it was one, in in a way, it was like one thing for it to happen in 2016, right? right. Not to, again, not to fucking pull from these exit polls too much anymore, uh, anymore. And I think this is like the last one that I even have like bookmarked as like, oh, that was interesting. It, uh, but one of these exit polls also shows that uh, for the question, uh, will vote in Democratic, uh, or will vote Democratic in November regardless of nominee, Sanders actually has the highest yes and the highest no so 34 percent of people said of uh respondents said yes we'll absolutely vote democratic in november no matter what 36 percent 36 percent of those said no and i think that that's reflects an increase from the last polling data it's a I saw huge increase and i think that reflects the fact that i think people see that the party is literally turning their backs on the people who are part of the sanders coalition i i mean i think it's safe to say that before this past weekend, right, you could very easily convince a Bernie voter that if this goes south, the Democratic Party is still viable. Yeah. I think after this past weekend, that conversation is a lot harder to have. It's a lot harder to tell people that the Democratic Party is worth trying to rehabilitate. Yeah. It, I don't have a lot of evidence that it is at this point. Right. Right. We well, just, which, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Well, no, just which makes me think that, like, uh, I don't know. I've been thinking a lot about that. So we had that conversation, actually, speaking of since Phil, you bring up Corbyn, we had that conversation recently about uh, when in the lead up to the, the UK election, um, you know, we, we talked about that documentary that we watched about the uh, Labour Party in the 80s and the so split good. that happened that created the Lib Dem Party. And, you know, I don't want this to be that moment. I would encourage all of these, like whoever, whatever, whatever, like the center thinks they're doing, whatever the Tom Perez's of the world think that they're up to and uh, how, like whatever uh, patronizing uh, justification that they have for their own behavior, um, you know, and, you know, not just the Tom Perez's, but like so, so much of the establishment also including 
uh, and anyone who helped, including uh, Pete and Amy or whatever, who helped to create this funneling of voters towards Biden should really like look at like this is not it is not a winning strategy to end up basically uh, like essentially splitting the party like this when you're right. just you're just defiantly not allowing any room to like listen to the like what what people might actually oh, want or totally. to provide any possibility of a future for them i, I mean, mean think think about it this way right um before south carolina that exit polling data showed m- like a lower percentage of people saying that they would not vote yeah. in the in the general right um south carolina and amy and uh pete happen well the math changes right But what I think you really see is that the Democratic establishment is prioritizing the voters that it does have, which trend older, right? Yeah. At the risk of losing four generations of voters who are like stepping forward. You know what I mean? Like you see in um, in states where the average age of the person who lives in that state is younger than the national average, which I think is like right. 38.2. Yeah. Those states are really tight races for the most part between Biden and Bernie. You go towards states that have a slightly older population than the average. Well, those states are miles to Biden. Those were easy yeah. wins for him. That's stuff like Alabama, North Carolina, Tennessee, and Virginia, right? Mm-hmm. So is it the ground game? Is it the inability to uh, have Sanders build and grow the actual base and turnout? No. What it is is that all the resources are being spent on a very specific block of voters who turn out for a very specific part of the Democratic establishment, and the rest of the voters don't really have any resources to participate in the right. electoral process. And they're process. forced to make their own institutions, they which are, is probably what, right. which is hopefully what will be at the very least at the bo- very bottom, like the, the hopefully the lasting influence of this is like, we have to, no matter what happens, like this coalition has to be like brought together. And again, even if electoralism isn't your thing, right. like, we, like we want to have like some relative unity here. I do, I do want to get back to Warren. Um, I, I do want to get back to Warren because I think that this is one of those um, things where like, I do want to point out uh, again, you know, this may, we might know what happens. Uh, we, we might, we, we might like, you might know already when you're listening to this, what has happened, et cetera, with Warren, but it's also entirely possible that she like holds on for a couple of days. We don't have another primary for a little bit, so she could wait until like just before or something to give a bump or something. I think she has advice through the ninth. So I'm right. I'm just, but I'm, I'm merely saying that. So this is one of the interesting and distressing things with Warren, because so if it is true in any way that Warren has part of the progressive coalition that hasn't after Super Tuesday already abandoned her, as we've seen some people defect uh, today, right. uh, even though they were extremely emboldened going into Super Tuesday, I think that a lot of people may have, in fact, given up on the realist, uh, the possibility of it being realistic that like Warren would be president. I think this goes one of three ways, though. Um, some people have been saying like, what if she drops out and endorses Biden? I don't even want to entertain that. That would be a disaster. Uh, and you know, she would definitely earn the like snake moniker that the New York times gets so incensed about or whatever. And that so many of her supporters get so incensed about like that would be an absolute betrayal of any idea of progressive or left politics. I think it would frankly also be a stupid move for her political oh, career going forward. Oh just yeah, saying. for sure. 
but also like you know she could just go back to being a corporate lawyer if she wanted to i mean but, uh, yeah we were joking in the discord last night i think it was papaya was like b you should primary warren and i was like honestly i would do it if no one will do it or just, if she, just for the satisfaction of really turning to her one day and saying not supporting Medicare for all did, did this. this. Yeah, I was gonna say I thought I thought you were gonna say for a second that uh, you would do it, but you don't want to live in Massachusetts. But anyway, which the, is a well, that, completely legitimate choice. <laughs> yeah. Also, but, I really don't like DC. Okay, no so, offense to DC people, I don't want to live there either. Again, this could go one of three ways. People have been saying, "Oh God, what what happens if she drops out and endorses Biden?" And they make some. They've made some. Uh, deal or whatever where they think that they can win a, a like a, a big coalition by having her be the VP again I, I don't even want to go there now because like that would be a disaster for, <laughs> on, on like every every level terrible yeah. it would change nothing about the electability of Biden it would just destroy it would just be awful anyway the other two options are she drops out and endorses Bernie great that's exactly what I want to happen personally like i'm not I, I frankly as we've talked about i in this show for weeks i'm so disappointed with how she's handled medicare for all in this cycle that i don't even want uh her to have any part of this uh anymore frankly but right, it was like it's kind of like getting the de blasio endorsement if she'll if she'll get some of the vote out from the fucking suburbs whatever sure right. like bring her in the third option which I'm the most concerned about is she drops out and she does nothing. She drops out and she just doesn't endorse anyone. She sits on the sidelines like in 2016 and she kind of waits and basically like lets lets her voters like go where they will, but doesn't try to for like doesn't try to like suggest they go one way or the other, regardless of whether the endorsement actually matters at this point, regardless of whether like that type of uh, politics, like the retail politics of influence of endorsements Mm -hmm. matters that much. I know it's ironic to say that after the, like everyone attributes the James Clyburn endorsement to Biden's win in South Carolina, et cetera, or the, the size of his win, you know, I think I, anyway, I understand the degree to which that is ironic, but I do. I I just want to point out just for the record. And you can, again, this is one of those things where, Hopefully, hopefully we'll know soon, but either way, these are, these are like the paths to worry about, I guess, or to think about. I mean, I think a lot of people have been like, well, how can we trust Warren? And, and what if she was VP? Like that would just kind of like really feel awful. And like, yes, I, unfortunately it would now. Yeah. I think it really would. And I, I think it's a real damn shame that Warren listened to the aides and consultants that she did because I think they gave her bad advice and it's been disappointing. And if you look at, you know, the numbers that like Warren brought in in Texas, right, which is a very close race between Bernie and Biden, if like one third of Warren's voters in Texas, right, had gone to Bernie Bernie would want, would have won more delegates in Texas. Yeah. Right. As it is, it was close. Like he's getting 38 Biden's getting 42. The that I wouldn't say is really winning. That's yeah. a tie in my mind. That's a technical uh variation of 1 to 2 points, right? Uh, accounting yeah. for a margin of error, let's say. But, you know, Warren's base like may not be large, right? But one would assume that a majority of them actually do care about these issues and want to make the right decision. Yeah, I and would I, hope so. I think, you know, I, you saw knowing knowing some of them I would actually say that that's the case. Um, I think that's true. I mean, just think of the despair that 
that I heard from Pete supporters who felt lost and abandoned. Right, yeah. How do you think those Warren supporters are going to feel if she says nothing? That would be the worst idea in the world. What are those people going to think when she supports Biden when two weeks ago it was inspiring and and like vindicating for her, for them to have her uh, attack Biden on his like Me Too record. Right. Right. Like, well, but also as some people have pointed out, not attack Biden on a lot of things that sh- like she really could have both on like, uh, you know, cozying up to like banking and also to right. uh, like for, for the, even like, uh, and I say cozy, I'm cozying up to banking, but like the fucking for what happened during the fucking bailout and for uh like and for the stuff that sanders has gone after them on like the social security stuff like there are so many things that you could go after which you have to assume like you know there are only certain reasons to not go negative on uh biden for things like that and for warren none of them are good because for warren it's like oh does she want to try and like leverage that into like a cabinet position possibly or something but uh or or some other position but like that's I think that's what kind of makes it like especially frustrating. And again, this thing about like how how much she backtracked from Medicare for all that, like it would actually be almost even more discordant for some people, I'm sure, unfortunately, because I think some of her supporters right now are are actually super uh, aggressive towards Sanders at this point because she spent the last couple of weeks attacking him right. uh, and attacking uh they're like the the Sanders campaign outlook on Medicare for all. So, you know, no, um, I think it's kind of a tragic situation. It's a real um, mishandling of someone's career by the Democratic establishment. Yeah. Whether I think that person is really a Republican to her bones or not is another matter. Yeah. You know, uh, will I take the support I can get right now from who whomever is willing to give it? Unfortunately, yes. Um, yeah, I'm fine with that. Just yeah. I don't love de Blasio being a campaign surrogate. I think it's a bad idea, but will I take it? Sure. Sure. Because I ultimately, think- if we do this right, we will be dragging some people kicking and screaming, but we will also have to convince people that we don't like. Right. And we're also fighting for all of their health care, too, even if they're assholes. Yeah. And um, I guess maybe one, uh, how to put it, one, one sort of like last thing on this not even necessarily on warren but just to say uh but maybe on the topic of uh healthcare i guess is that uh i do want to point out that recently like as of today and so like sanders gave a um give a press conference uh today in the afternoon in vermont and then he's like basically gone on and said a similar thing uh on msnbc this evening which is he's now uh, essentially going around and basically challenging Biden to a healthcare debate, like a Love it. specifically do have a debate on healthcare. And I think that is a super good move personally, oh, be so cool to because watch. there is nothing I would love more than to see the two of them specifically go at it for like an hour on healthcare, because that would be, I mean, that is an execution right there. ACA versus Medicare for all. Which I'm I would, sure I would, sell, you know, tickets to, I would sell tickets to that at a bar. Yeah. That would be, I think we should, if that, if it happens, I think we should in our discord. Um, not, not really. I mean, it would be free in our discord, but you know what I mean? No, but we should do, we should a do live a live, show. a live show. If it happens, that a live is a great show idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm down because Super that, down. that's like peak. That's, that's what we're here for. Yep. That is our space. Um, okay. How how are we all doing? Because 
Uh, yeah, we've been good. going for a while. Okay, good. Um, so we're kind of petering out. I don't really want to talk about Liz Warren. Let's let's no, finish. No, 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 no. Let's I think, I think, to, I think we're done with Super Tuesday. Well, and I guess like the final thing we could say about Super Tuesday is that um, guess how the stock market's doing today, y'all. <laughs> Woo! Health insurance stocks are up because Biden did so well, and the media narrative has been dominating how Biden won, won, won. Well, not only that, uh, the what is it? The Dow is up like twelve hundred points. Right, but coronavirus, so. like we're going to be able to charge up the ass. We were worried that we were going to have to give all this free health care because of yeah. coronavirus. They're like, we said it was coronavirus. But, you know. But that one dude on Fox who said it was Bernie Sanders, that guy was right. He was right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yep. Um, so, speaking of uh, coronavirus, mm-hmm. do we want to sort of cover the latest with that? Um, since we last spoke, there's been some developments, including the CDC finally loosened its restrictions on who can get tested. Mm-hmm. And surprise, surprise, there were retroactive deaths that tested positive. Yeah. So the death toll has gone up. Therefore, the latest WHO estimate, which actually came out this morning, has raised the um, raised the um uh, fatality rate of the disease from 2% to, I think, Mm -hmm. 3.4%. And again, we were kind of expecting this because, um, you know, they were trying to suppress information by restricting testing, which is obviously going to give us lower mortality numbers and infection numbers than our actual. So what this means in practice is that we currently have like a full-scale nationwide sort of like free for all for any disinfectant supplies or gloves right. or masks like yeah, we passed we passed the supermarket today uh one of our, like our, our uh nearest uh supermarket and they had big signs up that uh were just like freshly printed out of like you know some office inkjet printer or whatever mm-hmm. saying like uh we we have hand sanitizer and disinfectant wipes in stock get them now it's like oh, oh yeah oh, i mean boy. disabled winner has actually been on a funny one because a bunch of wheelchair users are like fuck you i use this because i use a wheelchair and it's yeah. sold out of every cvs like what the hell you're just gonna hoard it in your closet like is, god damn it i hate capitalism this is kind of one of the things that i thought is really funny about this because as i was uh explaining uh, to because we were like going through because I, I commute uh, like one, once a week to to teach at uh, Penn in Philly and uh, I was going through I was asking B as a immune compromised person like what steps should I take to prepare myself because you know you live like this like the hysteria that people are putting themselves through over like making sure that everything is like clean and they are like wearing a face mask or whatever. And they're like maybe disinfecting like the chair when they're going on like a, a airplane or a bus or something like that's the hysteria <laughs> that B is forced to live with every day. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's funny because sometimes when I'm on airplanes and I'm disinfecting the chairs around me, the overhead cabin, closing as many vents as I can get before people sit down, you know, that's why I asked for disability accommodation on a flight so I can sanitize your seat for you before you sit down near me. Isn't that great? Um, God. I'm not even lying. If I were joking, it would be funnier. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, these are the kinds of precautions. I'm not hugely immunocompromised like a child getting uh, treatment for leukemia. Right. Pretty, pretty immune. My white blood cell count is not amazing. Um, I saw my rheumatologist this week and we went over my blood work from the ER and he was like, you know, be careful. But 
but like I live with more precautions, right? And these are the kinds of precautions right, that but yeah, I do all the time. And that's like, that's my point that so many people do live like this. And it's actually right. kind of funny to see people panic over like doing like it's not really it's not really funny i guess but it is in some ways like it it is absurd to see people panic over things that like i think there should probably be a little bit like at least a little bit more awareness of um the types of things that actually a lot of people even if people who are on like chemo or something like for not who aren't how to put it even people who are on like a short term of chemo or something have to like things that they have to uh do to you know protect themselves and again so the federal government is in shambles sima verma uh the other day (laughs) will not promise uh go ahead (laughs) no no go for it i every time i talk about sima verma my blood pressure gets really high and i feel dizzy so it might be better phil correct me if i'm wrong but i'm pretty sure sima verma uh cms administrator went out and basically said that they will not confirm or deny whether Medicare or Medicaid will cover coronavirus testing. Yeah. Let me actually get the, the, the quote. Um, yeah, I, I know that it's been updated, but I think that the initial statement, uh, is more, I mean, the initial statement that SEMA made is in a way like the most indicative part of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because I, I know that they backtracked and they've said essentially that uh, I think that well, yeah, to some degree they backtracked and they said like yes, the federal government will indeed like uh, cover some of these things or some of these things like will be uh, guaranteed, etc. Uh, and part of the, and this is oh, after yeah. even like Cuomo had to get up and be like yes, the state will make sure that this is free in the state or whatever. Oh yes, and then like we um, called it on our last episode, he then attempted to consolidate power within the state of New York. And yeah. um, do some pretty shady shit. A lot um, of insulin lo- for all. New York has done some good, like, yeah. work calling him out on that. So mm-hmm. I looked that yeah, up. Here's but- here's how definitive SEMA was the other night. Right. We are looking at what we cover and clarifying the types of products and services that our programs will be able to pay for in oh terms of Medicare and Medicaid. So I mean, it's like. And then eventually Pence does say that like, yes, like we're going to consider these things essential health benefit, but like, Fine. wow, what a, what a, uh, number one, this is just the instinctual responses to think of these things as products and services that we may or may not be able to cover. Meanwhile, we're facing an epidemic, uh, a sort of like a once in a generation epidemic right. that um, has been allowed to spread unchecked for weeks in the United States. Let's be real. Yeah, for sure. And then. And then, like, of course, then, you know, Pence comes out and says this thing, which is like an articulation of the fact that the underlying, like, moral <laughs> sentiments of people in the United States is that we probably should have universal health care for these things. Right. Yeah, so, totally. It's great. I mean, also, I think to like to be to be totally honest, like, I think that Pence probably or like at, at the end of the day to the statements made in this, like uh, in these press conferences by Pence and others they're you know, they're this stuff isn't like necessarily enforceable. Like I would take the, I would take the word of um, SEMA who's actually probably, who probably people like Pence, et cetera, would like defer to the sort of like expert judgment of, in terms of like what exact types of uh, incredibly vague wording, like you just mentioned, uh, oh, like you yeah. just read out, like what types of wording should actually be used in terms of saying like, cause that's very, like her answer was so very clearly a, uh, like the diplomatic, like, Oh, I'm just a health official. Like pay me no heed. I'm right. going to do the, I'm going to do the trick of saying She's a bunch really of words and actually. it's just producing a mirage that like produces the 
the veneer of authority, but actually I'm basically essentially just saying, yeah, I'm not sure. And we're going to eventually defer to like corporate interest on this. Right. One. You, you know, know, what's so funny. Speaking of that, maybe this will be an episode that we do sometime, but maybe not because it might um, give me political retaliation that kicks me off Medicare for some reason. But one of the things I've noticed recently, there's a pattern in the language of mailers from Medicare getting more and more vague. And then online, you can look up when everything has been revised. And so you can right. compare older versions of the documents. I have some on hand here because I started the process during the Obama administration years ago. Um, so it's fascinating because the language that SEMA has been able to bring to CMS is so vague that I got a, a ticket to work mailer the other day, um, which is about setting up disabled people with jobs programs if they think they can transition back to work. Yeah. Um, a lot of those jobs are sub-minimum wage. Whole other story. But it's so vague that it's really, really confusing in the now like six-page pamphlet. It's unclear whether or not you will continue your medical benefits if you start a trial work period. It's unclear now how long the trial work period is, what the parameters are, what the, like, it's so vague. This is what she yeah. specializes in. She is stripping out meaning from these documents and they are going to push people <clears throat> off the program and defund it one way or another. Yeah. They're trying to make Medicare fail. So the private market yeah. can take the rest of it. Uh, or like create another situation where it's not necessarily dependable. But yeah, I mean, beyond the, I guess, other obviously there are only like um, so many updates um, necessarily that are on this, though I guess we'll, we will probably can, it seems like this is going to be something that we're going to just be continuing to talk about partially for like, um, because this is obviously this is only going to spread some more, but also as B has kind of, uh, alluded to before I think a lot of other outlets don't totally know how to talk about an infectious <laughs> disease oh yeah um, so well I mean there there was the great thing that came out uh two days ago that was um that New York City has a plan to in part oh of their God. disease response plan for a pandemic they have um this like one section that says okay so we're gonna ferry prisoners from Rikers Island in to dig the graves yeah, but it's if there's gorgeous. a big outbreak, yeah, the yeah. The, the bodies will be buried on uh, Hart Island in the Long Island Sound, and the prisoners from Rikers will be forced to do the grave digging. That's just, you know, I <sighs> can't get more mask off than New that, New York really. is a progressive leader of the nation, Artie. Yeah, I We're know. such a progressive state. Oh my God, we've got we've got Chuck Schumer and Cuomo and Kristen Gillibrand. How could you ever say that we would do such a heinous thing? Oh, it's what yeah. we've always done here. Oh, okay. Just check speaking it out. of which, uh, spe speaking of never us, mind. Speaking of us not being not being a progressive state at all, uh, our primary is April twenty eighth, and I think given how uh, New York is a uh, let's say you, you use that uh, phrase, Phil earlier, delegate rich, which I always think is, uh, I don't know, for some reason that that phrase always just like bugs me The like, it just sounds like, um, I don't know, uh, like candidates are like indulging. My, we're in, in the like, my, oh yes, sweet, sweet delegates. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. There's a different centers of nougat, cherry, <laughs> cherry, <laughs> but, uh, maraschino. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> 
Um, but we're we're it's gonna take a lot of work to get New York to go for Sanders if we True. if we can even we, uh, manage it. So should, should we um jump into the five thirty eight game and use my median age calculator to make God. a prediction on New York State? So New York State's median age is thirty nine, so that puts it in position twenty two. So it's the twenty two highest average age, and the states around it, Biden. One Alabama with 63%, uh, not one. He got the majority of the delegates in Alabama with 63% of the vote and got the majority of the delegates in North Carolina with 43% of the vote. So those are average age of 39.2 for Alabama and 38.9 for North Carolina. So I would say if you live in New York State, you have a lot of work to do, friends. Yeah. It's time to go canvas, y'all. You ready? Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if like BernieSanders.com forward slash call. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, somehow New York like still went for Buttigieg or something even like a month later (laughs) or went for, um, I don't know, fucking Bloomberg even. That'd be funny. Anyway, before we wrap out, do we want to just quickly um, maybe touch on the latest challenge to the ACA? Oh, yeah. Let's hit it. Phil, sure. you want to you want to take us out here? You you had a good thread about this earlier today. You tweeted about this. Yeah, I mean, so we're we're in the death grips of, you know, the uh conservative legal movement, I guess still. And it's and so like <laughs> this just one of these episodes where like, you know, uh some some there's some kind of just absolutely batshit uh, legal challenge to the Affordable Care Act, and, and like immediately, law professors are like, "This will never pass muster." And then, like, you know, <laughs> five months later, the Fifth Circuit's like, "Actually, um, you know, maybe uh, we'll see." Uh, and so, this is definitely one of those cases. This we actually, I think, this is the first the first time I came on Death Panel way yeah. back in like December of 2018. Yes. Um, this case had just been initially decided in the uh, district uh, district court in Texas, uh, but it basically like the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals has now struck down the individual mandate in the ACA, and the yeah. question is sort of like whether or not the that is severable from the rest of the law, and if that falls, the rest of the law has to fall, and so everyone was sort of like very. Um, uh, circumspect is the Supreme Court going to take this up? What are they going to do? And basically, what the Supreme Court has now done is they're going to hear this challenge. Um, the federal government is now not defending the law, which it you know typically does. Uh, mm-hmm. a, a set of intervener states, uh, represented by California, uh, California's uh, Attorney General uh, Javier Becerra, is um, uh, defending the law. But this is the best part. The Supreme Court is not going to hear oral arguments until the fall, possibly yeah. November, and they're not huh. going to decide until <laughs> after the election. Yeah. So well, this is, um, yeah. Well, although actually it is possible, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe you've uh, seen something that I haven't, but uh, from what I have read, it does seem entirely possible there are i guess like six days prior to the election that they will be hearing full cases and they have not decided which cases those are yet oh my so God. it is actually entirely possible that in the 
couple days leading up to the general election, the ACA will be struck down I as unconstitutional doubt, by I the Supreme doubt Court. I that, though. I doubt I that. Doubt I th- I'm just saying it's possible. It's possible. <laughs> you know. I mean, it's, but I think the thing is like, this is, I mean, you could argue that this is like, uh, it's kind of great. I would say for Democrats generally in electoral sense, because it's, you know, you get to say the Trump administration is going to talk a good game on healthcare, but like yet they, uh, you know, they're, they're willing to like not, not only not defend this thing, but, but actually try actively to like strike the law down. Right. But it is just sort of like, you know, now we're like 10 years on from the ACA and you know, the question sort of emerges like, Exactly what have we done here? Yeah. What is the what is this resulted in? Also, and yeah. Well, I mean, also I think to a certain extent, I mean, you sent me this uh thing earlier today, Phil, of like uh health affairs looking at these like ten oh, <laughs> yes. which by the way, congratulations, Phil, on your health affairs article. Um yes, really thank uh, you. put putting the good word in the belly of the beast there. Um but so proud of you, Ben. They they had a they had a um Wait, is that condescending to say for an academic achievement? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> no okay. I'll take but, it. Just checking. They had a, uh, so Health Affairs had this, like, you sent me this retrospective article of, like, 10, uh, they they talked to some some people about, like, you know, 10 years on from the ACA. Oh, my God, yes. And it's really interesting, because reading it, it's like, at this point, I don't even see why, like, I understand the uh, maybe positive electoral implications for Republicans, et cetera, to, like, be openly still, you know, challenging the ACA, because to some extent, Obama is still, like, a sacred cow or whatever, and they want... You know, they 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 want to like they're very good at clearly portraying their enemies and rallying their base. Right. So they Mm -hmm. keep keep doing that. We want to undo the ACA thing, even though like it seems like the for the most part, it seems like uh, industry has like fully uh, embraced and uh, taken uh, like taken a bunch of the like the elements from this um, and just like run with it. Basically, even they have uh, what is it? The they have fucking in this article that you sent us um one of the people that they talked to was like fucking billy towson uh oh, yeah. the guy the mr. guy who's mr pharma pharma raging cajun yeah exactly the uh what is his cajun title because he's not a raging cajun he's like some other there's a he actually has a different uh i don't think what is it, raging cajun the, is a title i think it's a no, self- raging cajun the dolphin. no oh, it's yeah. a moniker it's not a it's like uh, Darth Plagueis or whatever. Yeah, but, uh, they the name Darth it. Part is Cajun. <laughs> they like they um, don the um the the like garment and then they pledge their um, but, Cajun. Right, but like Billy Towson for those for those who don't know uh, was a was a house rep who, uh, if I'm not mistaken, basically wrote and ensured the passage of the 2003 uh, Medicare drug uh, prescriptions uh, add-on. Uh, part D, I think, oh, right? Yeah. And who mm-hmm. literally months later resigned to take a two million dollar a year contract to be uh, like a like one of the heads of head lobbyist, yeah, yeah, the head lobbyist of pharma, PHRMA, the uh, the uh, pharmaceutical lobbying group, um, and he's in there literally saying like you know talking about how uh, the industry was. They basically like says they were openly colluding. Like he says, like the, there was a lot of discussion between the various health industries at the time, and like you know, they yeah. have this whole conversation about like, well, we're making it work. Is it collusion or is it open collaboration that was not in the public's best interest? I mean, yeah, this is the collusion. thing: is like you uh, these. So you, you learn actually a lot of interesting things in this article. Like one, you learn that like the 
the insurance industry, they're like, oh, yeah, how do you feel about the ACA? It's like, mm, you know, we would have made it shittier if we could have. That would have <laughs> yeah. been really good. We would have like we would have made it easier to discriminate. We asked for, you know. Yeah. They're like, you know, could have been better. The hospital association's like, we're good. AMA is like, we're good. Yeah. Uh, and then and then um, pharma's like, hey, we're real good. Yeah. Uh, and but then they're like, you know, so what was it like back in the day? Just mixing up. Like, you know, we were talking all the time. We were always <laughs> on the phone to one another. We just we knew we knew what, what the other we could finish each other's sentences, basically. Right. Um, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's you. You see very, very clearly how this piece of legislation was put together, but also like the people who are working, it's actually, it's not all of them, but uh, at least a few of them, they were either members of Congress who, who later became these lobbyists or they were like, they worked for the CBO in the nineties. Right. And then right. they're like, they're going to work. So it's like very, very clear, uh, the revolving door on this. And then like to hear about their, um, they're like, you know, at least a, f- a few of the reps, is, they're like, well, you know, this is like a moral issue for us. We really thought uh-huh. it was important that people have coverage. It's like, mm-hmm. yes, sure. it was a moral issue, which is why you were paid what for a retainer? That sounds like <laughs> what a moral <laughs> issue is. That's how you know that it's a moral issue. Is that people it, the pay amount a lot for morals, there. Phil. Morals. They mor- come at so, a premium. Yeah. It's great. Um, I mean, I mean, uh, all, all props to Health Affairs. Great to be published in it. But it was kind of weird to read um a 10-year retrospective with not that much uh in it about you know like the academic articles are about like the effects on uh insurance under insurance and the like you know the cost curve but the to have like the one sort of like slice of life you know you know interview thing to be with solely the industry reps and not like yeah, I don't know physicians. Uh, you know, Patients, patient advocates. Yeah. You know, oh, no, it was no, very funny. You, <laughs> if you had physicians or something, you wouldn't be able to have the like conversation about all the exciting new innovative products that you have yet to explore, like value based pricing and compensation for physicians. Right. right, or the or the retrospective about the part of the conversation that was like, well, and this is again, I'm speaking, uh, I'm referencing uh, Billy Towson specifically says in in this like. Oh, you know, uh, pharma, the, the lobbying group pharma, we didn't, we didn't sign on onto the, onto the bill until really late, which also, by the way, great. Yeah. Industry should be signing on to bills and legislation <laughs> that you're passing. Great. Fu- thanks, Obama. Like so many things to thank Obama for on this episode, including fucking Joe Biden. Anyway, uh, sorry. The, but like, um, you know, he says like pharma didn't sign on to the bill until very late in the process because they were concerned over the public option. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were worried that the public option uh, was going to. They don't even say what the worry was. I don't think he has to say what the worry was because everyone knows. I believe. What the worry I is. believe I gotta mention what it is. A certain public yeah. option. <laughs> I think. It, yeah. yeah, I think it, it had a lot to do with like removing the possibility of the massive three forty B subsidies that they ended up negotiating. Yeah. But well, I don't know. That's just me. <laughs> that's just you know. That's just. My private life, reading health affairs. But yeah, so the thing I was going to say actually is that um, what would be really, fu- 
I don't know. I mean, this is gonna this is gonna sound conspiratorial, but I'm just gonna say this because it sounds because it's funny to me. Because if you wanted to do in the same way that like I think a real galaxy brain political take uh, could be like, oh, Joe Biden could like sweep the nomination by deciding today that he's gonna switch to saying that he like supports Medicare for all, knowing that he need need do no such thing. Uh, but basically, to, you know what I mean? Because it's like such a popular <laughs> right, thing. He right. could like, he could probably be like, oh, you know what? Actually, like, Medicare for all is good. And then just like totally outright fucking steal the entire thing. I think in the same sense, um, the we were talking about the timing of the uh, ACA fight thing. It would actually be if specifically if Biden was the nominee, it would be endlessly. Uh, I was going to say funny, but it wouldn't be funny at all, actually. But it would be very appropriate if um they decided oh yeah we'll hear this case but like we don't think that this is the one that's eventually going to take down the aca and if trump is going to be president again or like you know whatever we have the court so like we've got time to take down the aca so mm-hmm. uh let's let's hear this we'll hear it like real quick first and we'll well i guess no it would be heard and then the decision won't come out anyway no. But they can like send signals. Essentially, you could. It doesn't well, even matter what the decision would be. The they could like hear can it, report it, and then it has impact on right. the public because it's like in the it's in the meta there. But, but what I'm saying, I guess, is like they could hear it, and regardless of what decision they'd ultimately make, they could like send signals in their questioning that it's going to be fine, which would right, probably right. just benefit like. We're, like we're down to the benefit of Trump because it would just end up being like, oh well, like look at this. People are so worried that if Trump's not. Uh, that if we don't beat Trump, that like the ACA is going to be gone, and that like the Supreme Court will be will be and is so bad. And and look, they they spared. They're probably going to spare the ACA again. So like whatever, you know what I mean? Um, right. You know, let's put Joe Biden in an office who can compromise better next time. Right. He did such a good job before. I mean, you joke, but that's literally the argument that I is know. in so many hotbeds today. I'm not <laughs> I saw, joking. So one that's like Joe Biden is the progress candidate. Oh yeah, that Tough. was my that was the most galaxy brain take I saw. Progress so candidate. What just what ty- like the pro- argument is that progressive um, neurological degeneration. The argument is incrementalism, right? The right. argument is that like the way that you actually are going to win progress is by electing Joe Biden and nothing fundamentally changing, basically. But that he'll actually be able to the whatever few things that he wants to actually pass that like he'll maybe be able to pass, and we'll get you know we'll get one step forward just so that we can get like two or three steps back very quickly after that um you know biden has said he's not going to run that he basically wouldn't run again right you know he would look for a vice president who would take the fucking mantle after and that's uh you know electable just normal electable shit here's the thing we let's talk speculative for a moment right we we did medicare for all week we talked to nine different people with massively different backgrounds who all said this is a historic problem there is a long tail of attempts to fix this problem with which industry has intervened every time right we've ended up with a compromise a band-aid a version that only covers one portion of the population a version that's mean means tested one that like is um, allowed to be gutted by the states, one that's just a subsidy to go to private insurers, right? Like every single time we've had this opportunity, we have unfortunately not made it past the point where we're at now. And in my mind, the thing that's so important about participating in this cycle and this primary in general is that 
Right now, we have a firm definition of Medicare for all. Yeah. Right? We have a national platform that is not um, welcoming. Welcoming, I'd say that the media is hostile to the idea um, of of discussing it fairly, but it has still been discussed um, Mm -hmm. in a national forum, right? Yep. Um, We have a moment right now where there is broader public understanding of how a single payer system works than ever before. And it is specific and sort of even though the attempts by Pete Buttigieg and Kamala Harris with her Medicare Advantage crap and Elizabeth Warren, frankly, with her attempt to move the goalposts and redefine what Medicare for all is. Right. Even with those attempts. Right. There is a very solid um, majority of people that believe that it is one specific thing, which is the Sanders Jayapal bill, which would eliminate private coverage for one national insurer. Right. We see that in the exit poll. Sanders support that. And people support that. That's right. People people support it, by the way. Here's the problem. What is going to happen in four years Right. What is going to happen with four more years of the Johns, Johns and Tommies fucking with the message in the federal office? Yeah. What is going to happen to the word Medicare for all? It's imperfect as it is. Right. Yeah. And Tim Faust likes to say his favorite is FUSP, Federal Universal Single Payer. Right. Yeah. It's it's much less much less catchy than M4A. But, you know, but like, it's more accurate. It's more accurate. Yeah. We're going to have to sell FUSP. Yeah. If we don't take the nomination this cycle, folks. This is our chance. Yeah. If you learned that we had the opportunity to fight again by listening to Medicare for All Week, then you had the wrong takeaway. Yeah. We don't, we might not have a chance to fight again. No one is coming to save you. Certainly not the Supreme Court or any part of the judiciary. Certainly not Congress or the executive branch, right? We have a singular opportunity that we're being presented with right now that is fundamentally different from every time before. And we have a specific definition that we are working with on a specific set of policies. And I'm talking about the Green New Deal in general that can tangibly immediately help people's lives. And I'm concerned that if we do not do it now, we will lose our opportunity to do it again. And we're going to have to start right back at square one, like in the 80s, and start all over again with a new term because we will lose Medicare for all and we will lose Green New Deal because at some point they will all smart up and realize that the best way to undermine it is to water it down. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't think I don't th- I, I think you're right, but I also think that that's exactly why it's incumbent uh, on us not only to win and again, like win uh, big from here. Uh, from here on out and I think with a clear field of just uh, Sanders and Biden and I will update what I said before the Washington Post has updated its story to reflect the fact that Warren is now is has been reported now to have talked not just to the Sanders campaign about the future but also to the Biden campaign so this possibility is increasing which again no black pilling here no I'm not black pilling even if Warren endorses fucking Joe Biden, we have to fucking win. We did we great. Have to fucking, right. we're we got going, a good start. We have a lot of work ahead of us. It's we're, We've got good momentum. We're going to blow this shit out 
Um, I said it at the top and I'll say it again and maybe that's how we can end Wrap this. Yeah. Can but I? Yeah. We are not going anywhere. We are, we have been like, we've been preparing and we are like, this is all at fucking war right well, now. I think this we is need total to war. Fight like there might be no next time. There is well, no I, next time there's, for some there, of us. For many of us, <laughs> there will not be a next time. Many people will die. Th- this is regardless. Yeah, sorry, the, this ahead, is sorry. a moment, a rare moment of incredible agency that people have. Mm-hmm. And moments like this don't come along too often. That uncertainty that we were talking about earlier, B, yeah. is that is actually where the possibility comes this moment. Can I read something to you guys? Yeah. yeah. I, I sent this to you earlier, but like this is, sorry, I'm obsessed with 1896 right now i'm obsessed with it because i'm obsessed i'll tell i'll tell tell you why i'm obsessed with it because 1896 was this crucial election it completely reshaped the democratic party uh from a party that was mainly sort of like a rump party of like uh southern you know just sort of segregationists and uh eastern like moneyed interests to a party that actually like represented working people at all um, and it's really because of like the populists that, you know, advanced that particularly William Jennings Bryan, who was like the, you know, came into the 1896 DNC with no chance whatsoever of like winning. He was only supported by a few people from Nebraska where he was from, ultimately won the party's nomination. Um, and so there's this uh, chapter in a book by a guy named uh, Richard Bensel who teaches at Cornell and uh, the, the chapter is called a calculated enchantment of passion. And he tries to describe what Brian did on the convention floor. And I just think he, the way he describes it is this moment of, of agency that's rare. So he, he's describing um, in this passage um, people on the convention floor, like cheering and hissing right. at, at various people. And he's trying to explain why that matters. So he's like, um, In a political setting devoid of drama, angst, and uncertainty, a political convention will traverse traditional rituals under the command of party leaders. It is these leaders who decide who may or may not address the convention, what will be in the platform, Mm -hmm. and so forth. It is the leaders' movements and pronouncements are avidly monitored by the news media, and it is the leaders to whom the delegates turn for signals as to how to act or vote. But in a political setting riven by drama, angst, and uncertainty... Political leaders lose much of their agency. They lose agency not because they themselves do not attempt to influence the proceedings, but because the delegates literally lose sight of the leaders as they engage in collective displays of sentiment. The prolonged demonstration following Brian's speech, this is the cross of gold speech, uh, was far beyond the control of the party leaders. This is what reporters meant when they described the demonstration as spontaneous. And when the delegates stood on their chairs, threw newspapers in the air, or yelled themselves hoarse, each of their displays was the equal of any attempted by one of the leaders. In fact, most party leaders restrained their displays in order to maintain a dignity they felt that should accompany their status. All of this meant that the most insignificant delegate could merge into a collective display in which his contribution and role was at least the equal of the most powerful leader. The cacophony of sound and motion thus profoundly leveled the playing field because individual contributions were impossible to distinguish within the demonstration. And then he goes on. 
These delegates of modest reputation and ambitions had their voices in their throats, and they realized that collectively they could determine outcomes. Very appropriate. So, <laughs> see you in July, motherfuckers. Yep. <laughs> so we need to book our tickets. That, that reminds me. Yeah. Um, really looking forward to this. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it remains to be seen whether the uh this dnc will be like uh what is that 1896 will be like 1896 1968 uh 2016 (laughs) um but you know i think yeah i mean i think that's a good place as good a place as any to end right yeah thank you for for uh reading us out there phil i think i needed that yeah good i feel a lot like some trans historical uh you know, like uh, uh, reminiscing or reminding um, that it's, uh, you know, a little breath. Un- there. An- yeah. Another <laughs> world is possible. Let's it's say it's not that we're in the weekend of Bernie's movie. It's that we're in Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cool. All right. All right. And I think with that, this has been your weekly public death panel. Thank you for sitting with us. Thank you to all of our patrons for supporting the show. We could not do this without you. Seriously, um, from the bottom of our hearts, we appreciate it. Uh, If you'd like to support the show and help us keep doing this and do more, patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. And uh, I don't know, leave us a rating review. That also helps. I think it helps uh, people find the show in the recommendations section. And currently in our recommendations is amy Teresa's stupid podcast yeah fuck so that. i would we would really appreciate the help for you know uh to get out of that gutter of recommendations and send that bitch back to australia where she belongs <laughs> where she lives uh-huh. but send her i don't know you know what i mean we just yeah. would love we would love to get push that one further so leave us a rating and review on apple podcasts and we'd appreciate it anyways um i think that's about it for today anything yep. else we're gonna win yes That's yes it. we're gonna win but we have work to do for sure yep and uh medicare for all now solidarity forever and do your best to stay alive until next week and uh become a patron if you want to get the bonus episode yep Rest in peace, my heart This is for the road